Thanks, um, Mark. Uh, we've got a technical issue today. There's a little green light flashing down there. So uh, I brought my sonic screwdriver along, and I'm going to focus it on Helen every time we want to change a slide here. It'd be helpful if the first slide was uh, up there just now. It's good. So let me share something with you. Last night, there were four Marys. Tonight, there be but three. There was Mary Beaton and Mary Seaton and Mary Carmichael and me. That's the lyrics of a Scottish folk song called Mary Hamilton, about four ladies who were ladies-in-waiting for Mary, Queen of Scots. And the fourth Mary who sings the song Mary Hamilton was due to go to the gallows in Edinburgh that night. Mary was a popular name, and knowing which Mary was which was quite a challenge. Sonic screwdriver not working, but it will in a moment. There we go. We've got the same problem when we come to Mary's in the New Testament because there are a number of them there. Obviously and clearly, there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. There was Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. There was Mary Magdalene. There was Mary, the wife of Clopas or Cleopas. And there was Mary of Bethany, who had a sister called Martha and a brother called Lazarus, who features unmistakably in three Bible stories. I want to highlight the three Bible stories first of all. There was the time when she sat at Jesus' feet listening to his words while his, her sister Martha is busy in the kitchen and gets more than a little stroppy because she feels left out. Mary feels frustration to Jesus when her brother Lazarus dies. If you'd got your skates on Jesus, my brother might have lived. And there's Mary who poured expensive ointment on Jesus' feet and wiped it away with her hair. Three stories which unmistakably involve Mary of Bethany. Now, here's where it gets complicated. For in Roman Catholic tradition, dating back to the teaching of Pope Gregory I, way back when, two incidents and two Marys are merged together. And the two incidents relate to two women and Jesus' feet. In the one story recounted in Luke 7:36, the woman weeps over Jesus' feet, dries them with her hair, and pours perfume from an alabaster box over them. And this incident took place in the home of Simon a Pharisee, and the unnamed woman is described as one who led a sinful life. In the other story recorded in Matthew, Mark, and in John's Gospels, the action takes place in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper. Notice, not Simon the Pharisee, but Simon the leper, when a dinner is being held in Jesus' honor. Lazarus is reclining at the table. Martha is serving the food, and Mary, according to John's account, took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, pours it over Jesus' feet, and wipes it away with her hair. Matthew and Mark, in describing this incident, say that the woman poured the perfume over Jesus' head. Mark says that she broke the alabaster jar. Now, there's a degree of similarity between the two incidents, but the conversation which follows is different in each case. In the case of the sinful woman, the conversation is between Jesus and Simon the Pharisee and relates to forgiveness. In the case of Mary of Bethany, the conversation is between Jesus and Judas Iscariot and relates to the value of the perfume. The two Marys, who are claimed to be one and the same by ancient Catholic tradition, are Mary Magdalene and Mary of Bethany. 
But there's no evidence in the Bible that these women were the same person. What they have in common is, according to some traditions, a name, Mary, and an extravagant devotion to Jesus who defends each of them for their actions. There is, by the way, no biblical basis for identifying the sinful woman of Simon the Pharisee's dinner party with Mary Magdalene. The only unambiguous biblical reference to the history of Mary Magdalene is that she refers to Jesus. It refers to Jesus having delivered her of seven demons. And this poor girl, would you believe, has carried an unwarranted character slur for 2,000 years as a result of mistaken identity. Hopefully having cleared some of the confusion surrounding Mary of Bethany and not added to it too much, we can look at what we learn from her because this series, after all, is entitled Learning from Disciples and she, Mary of Bethany, not some other Mary, is the subject of today's talk. And as I said, we meet her in three separate incidents Incident number one, which we find in Luke 10, the passage which Dave read to us today. Luke tells us that a woman called Martha opened her home to Jesus. Clearly, she's the hostess. Mary, identified as her sister, sits at Jesus' feet, hanging on to his every word. Martha, distracted by domestic preparations, gets a strop on. Now, let's try and put out of our heads any preconceived ideas we may have about these two sisters Let's simply ask ourselves the question, if Jesus were to visit your house in person, how would you prioritize your time? Hospitality is important. If you're a host or a hostess, you want to do your best by your guests. Hospitality on this occasion may well have been demanding. Luke 10:38 speaks of Jesus and his disciples arriving in the village of Bethany, and as Mark's reminded us, there were 12 of them. So you've got 13 extra mouths to feed. You may well have your mind on food and drink. What will they eat? What will they drink? Where will they sit? Where will they sleep? What Martha was doing was important. And Ruth and I have tried to rehabilitate Martha on more than one occasion as we've been speaking. We've re referenced this scripture from Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, you can work in the everyday tasks to the glory of God. We've talked about Brother Lawrence, a monk, who learned to practice the presence of God as he worked in the monastery kitchens. And about Billy Graham's wife, who famously had a notice in her kitchen which said, divine service performed here three times daily. So we've honored Martha for doing the stuff that she was doing. But I want to ask the question this morning, with Jesus actually sitting in your living room, Jesus who'd restricted himself in space and time and could only be in one place at one time, if Jesus was sitting in your living room, how would you prioritize your time? What's most important, to get the dinner ready or to listen to what Jesus has to say? I'm reminded of times in the church where I was in Glasgow when we had a special speaker for the weekend. On the Saturday evening, we'd invariably have a meal, after which our guest speaker would give his first talk of the weekend. And I used to get so frustrated if a team of people went straight to the kitchen after the meal to wash up, instead of listening to the speaker. This guy, for goodness sake, he's only here for the weekend. Do you really need to wash up now? But what if the speaker was Jesus himself? Come on, it's a no-brainer. Don't play the martyr. 
On this occasion, it was don't play the Martha, Martha. Martha was distracted by food preparation. But what was she distracted from? She was distracted from spending time with Jesus. But this talks about Mary. It's not about Martha. And Mary sits at Jesus' feet listening, taking in everything he says, and Jesus defends her priorities. One thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha, Martha, I believe there's a tenderness there. You're worried about many things. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 25? Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. What does Mary of Bethany teach us? Mary of Bethany teaches us to seek the kingdom of God first, Jesus first. And before we dismiss Mary as being too heavenly-minded to be any earthly use, Let's beware of the possibility that service for Jesus may sneakily usurp the place of listening to what Jesus says. Listening to Jesus trumps acts of service which we begin to resent as we forget who we are serving. Lesson number one, listen to Jesus while you have the opportunity. Here's the second incident in which we unmistakably meet Mary of Bethany. John chapter 11 identifies the relationship between Mary, her sister Martha, and their brother Lazarus, their siblings. Not only that, the name of their home village, Bethany, just two miles from Jerusalem, over the Mount of Olives. And the sisters send word to Jesus that Lazarus, their brother, is sick. We discover that Jesus loved each member of this family. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And many of, us will, many of us will know the gist of this story, how Jesus delayed his visit to Bethany until after Lazarus had died. In this story, both Martha and Mary independently say to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would still be alive. He would not have died. They clearly had sufficient faith in Jesus to believe that he could have healed their brother if he'd got there in time. Is there a hint of anger? Is there a hint of frustration? Jesus, what, where are you playing at? When Martha, who'd gone out to meet Jesus and give him a piece of her mind, returns to her house and tells Mary that Jesus is there and is asking for him, Mary wastes no time. She gets up quickly and she goes to him. Bereft, Mary falls at his feet weeping and expresses the same level of faith in him that her sister had done. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus is emotionally involved with this family. As we read the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And the descriptive account that Jesus was deeply moved. Mary certainly learned that day that Jesus is prepared to be there for us in our darkest moments. Not as some detached professional with an emotional intelligence of zero, a Mr. Spock, but as someone who shares our pain, who passes through our darkest moments with us. I learned that lesson personally 14 years ago last Wednesday, 31st of October, when my first wife Margaret died suddenly. As my daughter so vividly put it, Dad, God was there for us, and we didn't even have to ask Him. 
Worship song says, all through the storm, his love is the anchor. And so it was for me and my kids. So it was for Mary and Martha. So it can be for you in your darkest moments. When Jesus arrives at Bethany and Lazarus has already been in the tomb four days, he astounds them for calling for the tomb to be opened. Practical Martha says, don't be daft. He'll be stinking. But they open the tomb, and Jesus calls Lazarus by name. Some argue he had to call him by name or all the others buried in that place would get up too. (laughs) So Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. Some versions say, Lazarus, come forth, but it was actually Lazarus, come first. Just you, Lazarus, come out. He emerges from the tomb wrapped in grave clothes like a scene from a horror movie. Put yourself at the location. How would you have reacted? Fright? Thrill? Excitement? Gratitude to God? If we're honest, most of us would have been scared stiff. But Jesus retains control of the situation and instructs the onlookers to set Lazarus free from his grave clothes. And on the strength of this, Many who had come to comfort Mary put their faith in Jesus, but others went to tell tales to the Pharisees. That is such a telling line. Jesus had said earlier in his ministry, some people won't believe even if someone was raised from the dead. And principally, he was speaking about his own resurrection, which was to come. But it was there in the resurrection of Lazarus or the raising of Lazarus from the dead too. They didn't want to know. They went and told tales to the Pharisees. Hey, this guy's a troublemaker. John 1.47 continues, Then the chief priests and Pharisees called a meeting. Jesus said in John 10, I've come that they may have life to the full, not that they may have meetings. How did Mary herself react? To understand this, we need to look at the third incident in which we see Mary of Bethany. Here's lesson number two Jesus shares with us in the darkest times. But incident number three, a short time has elapsed. Six days before Passover, Jesus and his entourage returned to Bethany, and a dinner was held in Jesus' honor. In Matthew 26 and Mark chapter 12, the venue is identified as the home of Simon the leper. Who he was is open to our speculation. Was he a leper who'd been cleansed by Jesus? For a leper would not be an acceptable host for a banquet. Was he the father of the Bethany three? Martha seems to be playing hostess again, unless she'd been sort of hired in. It sounds like it was her house. Had Simon died from his leprosy, leaving the three siblings to look after the house? I used to live in the same street in Glasgow where the famous Bible scholar William Barclay once lived, and people still referred to the house as Barclay's house, even though he was dead for a number of years and didn't live there. So Simon the leper's house, he could have been dead for all we know. It was just identified as his house. But to link that Simon with Simon the Pharisee of Luke 7 is an unnecessary long shot. But Simon was as common a name as Mary. If we were to link together as one person all the Marys in the Bible, all the Simons in the Bible, all the Josephs, all the Judases, the Bible would be a much shorter book. These were different people. 
Now, we may struggle with Simon's identity, but we should have no trouble identifying the woman who pours ointment over Jesus' feet and, according to Matthew and Mark, also his head. For John tells us plainly, John 11, 2, she is Mary of Bethany, sister to Martha and Lazarus. There they are in Simon's house. Martha serving a table, Lazarus, newly raised from the dead, reclining a table, and why not? And Mary places herself in what's becoming her customary position at Jesus' feet. She takes a jar of perfume, according to Matthew and Mark, contained in an alabaster jar. According to John, pure nard, a pint of the stuff, and she pours it over Jesus' feet and head, and the fragrance of the perfume fills the room. This leads to controversy. This time it's not his sister Martha who's critical of Mary's action. It's Judas Iscariot, the treasurer, who says, what a waste. This perfume would have cost a year's wages. Couldn't it have been better sold and the proceeds given to the poor? But John lets us in on a secret. Judas speaks with forked tongue. He was a corrupt treasurer, helping himself to what he could from the common purse, cooking the books, embezzling, call it what you will, it was theft. He wasn't interested in the poor. But how does Jesus react? Jesus defends Mary's action. Leave her alone. She's done this in connection with my death. He alone knew that it was impending in less than a week's time. You will always have the poor. You won't always have me here with you. Now, I don't believe that Jesus was being dishonoring to the poor. Tear Fund, the Christian Relief and Development Agency, who celebrated 50th anniversary this year, have a slogan which goes like this, we won't stop until the poverty stops, and that accords with biblical understanding and teaching. But Jesus is saying something different here. Jesus is recognizing the timing of the event. He's conscious of the gratitude of Mary's heart, specifically and immediately for Jesus' miracle in bringing her beloved brother Lazarus back from the dead. But more generally, he delights to receive our love, and extravagant love is in order. And that's the third lesson we learn from the disciple we identify as Mary of Bethany. Jesus receives extravagant worship. And I believe the hymn writer Isaac Watts captured it well in these words, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, divine demands my soul, my life, my all. So in summary, what have we learned from Mary of Bethany? Number one, we should prioritize listening to Jesus over service to him. There's a real danger that our identity can be vested in doing things for Jesus rather than in a personal relationship with him in which hearing what he says is the number one priority. Secondly, Jesus shares with us in the darkest times. We are never alone. He understands, he cares, he weeps with us, but not only that, he can make a fundamental difference. For Mary of Bethany, it was the raising from the dead of her brother Lazarus. For each one of us, it will be different according to our needs. And number three, extravagant worship of Jesus is not only acceptable to him, 
it's welcomed by him. Let's pray, shall we? Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the Bible. We thank you for the stories that are recorded for us in the Gospels. And we thank you that they're there for our help and for our understanding and for our learning and for our inspiration and for our practical application. And we pray, Father, that you would just uh, seal in our hearts by your Holy Spirit those things you want us to hear today. Father, perhaps some of us are so busy serving Jesus or serving the church that we omit to listen to Jesus. Old Martha had a limited time opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet and she chose to be in the kitchen. But we're in a different situation. We have Jesus with us all the time. And the challenge for us is actually to spend time deliberately listening to Jesus as in the whole of life we serve Him in whatever we do. Help us, Father, to get the balance right. Help us, Father, to listen to Jesus and not just to listen, but to do what He says. And Father, I thank You so much for that truth that Jesus shares with us in the darkest of times. Uh, and people who are here and people who have been in the service earlier have been passing through the darkest times and are passing through the darkest times. I want to pray, Father, for a lady who was here at the beginning of the service whose husband died suddenly during the week. Jesus. Father, would you be with her? Jesus. Only been here in Bridge North five weeks, and her husband has died. Father, she was so brave to come into this building at all, and I just pray, Father, for her, that you would minister to her in her need, that she might know the presence of the living Jesus as Mary did so long ago, as I did 14 years ago in my own bereavement, as so many of us have done in the darkest times. Father, may she know your presence with her right now, wherever she is. Father, be with her. And Father, we thank you for that lesson that uh, Jesus desires, relishes, revels in, welcomes, receives our extravagant worship as we realize that nothing, nothing that we can bring is too much for Him. Help us to worship Jesus with everything that we have, for we ask this in His name.